Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. So today, it's Palm Sunday. Open your Bibles to Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. The title for today's message is this. Power inversion. Power inversion. We'll get into the understanding around that as we look at the big idea. Ready? Here we go. In the right way up kingdom of God, power and authority are not based on how much you can get for yourself, but how much of yourself you can give away. I'm going to read that again. Read it along with me. Not out loud. That's weird. In the right way up kingdom of God, power and authority are not based on how much you can get for yourself, but how much of yourself you can give away. Now, that sounds exhausting, doesn't it? And it would be exhausting if we didn't apply what that last song talked about. We need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. You can only give so much out of your own. But as you are filled up with the Holy Spirit regularly and, and as you, as you uh, walk with Christ, he fills us up to, oh, what do you say, overflowing, like cup runneth over, right? To be King Jamesy, cup runneth, if, if, over. Because he fills us up so that we can give away, all right? So that's the big idea. But first, I want to talk about Matthew. Just keep, keep, your, keep yourself in there. This will be on the wall, so stay in Mark. Don't, don't, don't change your, but Matthew 5 says this. And this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is this power inversion. He says this. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'm telling you, especially that last one, That's happening on a daily basis. If you stand up for righteousness, you are going to get persecuted. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get, you know, beat up or, but you, maybe you will. I don't know. But when we as Christians stand up for what this book says, there's a tendency for people around us to not understand that. And in our culture where holiness is sin and sin is, is holy in our culture. Get ready for some persecution if you stand up for righteousness. He said, blessed are you. You're so into the kingdom. You are are walking the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds like, oh, man, that's that's tough. We're going to talk a little bit about the power inversion today. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 30. I have a bunch of highlights in my, so I can emphasize, so I'm going to read off my tablet, but I promise it's right out of here. Okay, Matthew 10, starting in verse 13. 
And I love, I love this passage. And the, you know what I love about this? I've read this a lot of times. And I love the two stories that go back to back. But I don't know why I didn't connect them before. I didn't realize that they were like on the heels of each other. And when you put them together, oh, it's, it's, it, it paints a beautiful picture. Here we go. Verse 13. People were being, uh, bringing little children to him in order that he, Jesus, might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. They're like, no, get out of here. He's got more important things to do. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If you're, if, you, if you're a note taker or you're a Bible underliner or highlighter, highlight such as these. He's not saying that we're all going to be little children in the kingdom. He's using the children and their attitude towards him as an object lesson for how we ought to approach him. All right? We'll talk a little bit. But that's so important. It, the kingdom of God is reserved, is open, is, is uh, built for people such as these kids. Now, you know kids, right? So, how many people have children in their homes right now? Okay? This is, and, and I'm talking like little children, because as you get teenagers, they just get big mutants. I don't understand it. But, you know, I got a 14-year-old, 13, this to start mutating into something different. No. Uh, when, I get home, when I get home from work, I am blessed to have three kids. Some of them are even in the teenage years. Daddy! And, they, you know, especially the little one. She's, like, all over me, like, like, like a slug or something. Like, she just, like, wraps herself around me, legs, arms, the whole thing. Daddy! Like, I hadn't seen her in years. It, they're kind of like puppies in that way. You know how puppies are? You just said goodbye to them. You left them there, and you forgot your keys on the counter. They're like, you've been gone all day! Woo-hoo! You know? I haven't seen you. Where have you been? You know, that's, that's how dogs are. They don't remember the, but kids are like that too. They just, they just want to be with you. They want to be around you. They want to be on you, right? So Jesus said, this is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is reserved for. Truly, I tell you, this is verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Hmm. After taking them in his arms, I love that. After taking the kids in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So they had to, so Jesus is having a conversation. He's teaching, and the people are wanting to get close to him. And they, the kids are, the parents are bringing kids, and the kids are coming up. And he, the disciples are saying, "No, this is this is not the time for this." He's like, "What are you talking about? It's always a time for this." This is who it is. And then he keeps teaching. I can just picture him surrounded by this little like tribe of kids, and he's still teaching. And then it says in verse uh, 17, as he was set, uh, setting out, so as he's kind of wrapping things up, as he's wrapping things up and he's, you know, touching the kid, oh, I love you guys, um, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, he missed the first part of the sermon. He missed it. If, if he had been there earlier, he would have known the answer to that. Right? And Jesus says a weird question. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. Why did Jesus say that? I have a couple theories on that. He said, why do you call me good? 
Think about this. Because of who I am or because of what you can get out of me? Why do you call me good? Is it because of who I am or what you can get out of me? Is it flattery or a declaration of truth? Is it your heart or your strategy? Now, I talked a little bit about this last week. This is the quintessential uh, scripture for the concept of transactional relationship with, with God. Why do we call him Lord? Is it, why do we call him good? Why do we worship him? Why do we, why do we lift our hands? Why, why do we do these things? Is it because he is Lord? Is it because he is good? Or is it because we think that if we appease the God, then he is going to lavish a good harvest on us. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's very pagan in its roots, this concept of a transactional relationship with God. But this is what this rich, I believe this is what the rich young ruler is getting at. So Jesus responds to him, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Keep your mind on the word defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, those of you who have went through the um, Power of Ten series with us recently know that this is the second part of the Ten Commandments. This is the love your neighbor as yourself part. This is the, tra- this is the uh, interaction, not transaction, but interaction between humans. And it doesn't talk about the first part, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, no other gods. Sabbath day, all the things that refer, the first four that refer to our relationship, the vertical relationship with God. But he, he changes a word here. Jesus changes a word. The word do not defraud is not in the Ten Commandments. The word is do not covet. So he's saying, there's, so, there's something about, there's some, there's some debate in the scholarly communities about why this word is changed. Some people believe that it's because this man got his wealth through dishonest means. Other people, and I, I kind of go with the second view, believe that he was, because he said all these things, we'll see, it's like all these things I've done since my youth. So I think he wasn't, I, didn't, I don't think he did defraud people, but I do think he had a real problem with coveting. I think we're going to see at the end of this story that he, is, he, is, he, he struggles with this wealth thing. He, he sees this as how his, as an example of his holiness, that his holiness is based on God's favor through the impartation of wealth to him. And he's looking everywhere at what other people have. That's what I believe. Jesus doesn't answer, but it's an interesting substitution, don't you think? All right, he says, he said to them, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Now, interestingly enough, the word youth here can be translated childhood. So we got all these children around Jesus, right? He goes, ever since I was these kids' age, I've done these things. I've done all these things since I was a a little child, like all these ones sitting around you. See the, the, the picture in your mind. And I love this part. Jesus, looking at him, Jesus loved him. He loved him. He loved this man. 
Jesus does this a lot. There's a lot of uh, scripture that talks about Jesus' emotional response. Jesus wept. Jesus was moved. Jesus loved. Um, it says that Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept because he said, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who killed the prophets. Uh, how often I would have loved to gather you into my arms like a hen gathers her chair. There's this emotional response. Jesus looks at this man and he loves him. And he says, you lack one thing. And I think this touches right to the, the covetousness idea. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. The kingdom of God is reserved for people such as these kids. They had no care for money. They had no care for possessions. If Jesus said, you know, give me that thing you have. I had this book. Maybe, maybe you'll illustrate it for me someday. But I had this book in my mind called The Burlap Camel all around this story. If these kids had something, they would have given it to Jesus. I mean, they just had that heart. And this comparison between this rich young man and these children who had no status in their culture is amazing. So the man, in verse 22 says, but he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, what is this all about? Let me ask this question. Did he have many possessions? Or did his possessions have him? He was enslaved by his understanding of the blessings of God. He was enslaved by the concept of, uh, of comparison with other people. He couldn't get over it. So his possessions really ruled him. So continue that mental picture here. Jesus with the kids all around, and maybe a kid bopping on his knee, and the rich young ruler walks away with his head, with his head down, tail between his legs. And verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for those who are, have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them. Now, I think he said, he, he's, he's going back to, the, to the, the kids that are right around him. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for, and I picture this little stuffed camel that this little girl's carrying around, right? It's easier for that camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Wow, that's a big statement. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, and this was part of one of the songs this morning, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. With God, we can overcome our tendency for materialism. With God, we can overcome our, our, our pull towards idolatry. With God, we can overcome our ideas about the world that don't jive with the kingdom of God. This power inversion 
can make sense to us. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything. <laughs> He's like, oh, all right, I'm going to get in on this one. We, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, and Jesus didn't get mad at him this time, even though I think he was fishing for a compliment. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and fields <coughs> with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What is he talking about? What is he talking about here? And I want you to answer the question. I'm going to answer the question for you by this. Take a look to your left and to your right. You have gained children. You have gained brothers and sisters that you didn't have before. You have gained mothers and fathers that you didn't have before. The church body is the fulfillment of this passage. And you're also going to get persecution. But how much better is it, it is to go through persecution when you're not alone, when you have all these support people in your life. Those of you who did not have a good upbringing, who didn't have a good mother or father, you can have one now. You can be part of the church. There are grandparents in here who will love you. There's fathers, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. People look around. There's kids all over this joint. They're running around everywhere. Those are your kids. Those are our kids. It's exciting. I think about these missionaries who go, they leave all this stuff, and they go, you have brothers and sisters in Africa. You've got brothers and sisters in South America. You've got brothers and sisters in Europe. Listen, this is huge. You've inherited so much that it's worth all the persecution. All right, so what is he trying to say here? Children are dependent on others, and they must receive everything they need to survive. One of the biggest revelations of my life was holding my son for the first time, my, my, my eldest. And I'm holding this kid, and I'm like, oh, man, what did we just do? I mean, honestly, it was like the weight of the responsibility just hit me. I don't think I held him like that. That would be weird. He's not like Simba or something. I think I had him like, you know, like, <laughs> I think I had him, oh, you know, I... But I, the, the weight of the responsibility of, man, if, if I don't do my job, this kid's going to die. I mean, I'm like, he, he can't come out of the room like, get a job. I mean, no, he, there's, a, there's a process. There's a, but everything that comes to children for their survival comes as a gift from their parents. Even to this point, they don't like it. They don't like it because they'll say, they'll be like, that's my room. I'm like, no, it's not. It's my room that you get to live in. I've gifted you that room. That's my phone. <laughs> no, it's not. I bought that phone. 
it's my phone that I'm letting you use. If you don't use it properly, guess what? It becomes my phone. Because it always was my phone. So at a certain age, they start to resent that. But the, 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 the truth is that that's what it is. Everything they need to survive comes from a gift from their parents. Instead of focusing on human efforts and achievement, the instructions Jesus gives reminds us that the kingdom is something we are given as a gift. You cannot earn the kingdom. Even if you kept all the rules from the time you were a child, you cannot earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift. Not something we earn our way into. We also learn that the kingdom is about living a life that follows a pattern of sacrifice. If you relinquish the control of your life, then the things that you have no longer belong to you. They're God's. They always were anyway. So if he asked you to use them for something, the answer should always be, yes, Lord. We hold so tightly to our things, thinking that they're the, they're the thing that is going to keep us this, that, and the other thing. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm giving you those things. You don't own those things. I'm giving you those things as a steward, and if I ask for them back, I'd like you to have open hands. It's a, it's a pattern of sacrifice. Jesus commanded the rich man as a, uh, the, the one he gave the rich man was a radical one. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. But it is preceded with compassion. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus knows that the man's wealth will never satisfy him. He loves him too much to ask anything less to him, of him than total inversion of his old way of, of life. He's like, you got to give it up, man. That thing, the thing that you think you possess is possessing you. You need to give it up. Let it go. Let it go. The story shows the difficulty of giving up one from a form of life for another. Even though one life is infinitely better. Even though one life is infinite, but we have a hard time letting go. Realizing that possessions, wealth, and status have become our master and trading them in, and trading them in for the master. Verse 31 is a perfect encapsulation of the entire section. It said, the first will be last and the last first. The powerful will be weak, and the weak will be powerful. The rich will be poor, and the poor will be rich. The rich and powerful young man went away sad, declining the promise of receiving the kingdom of God. While the children that, uh, the children that were there, see, I guess I'm trying to understand the idea that the children, you have to understand children in that time period. They weren't respected like they are today, right? Respectable people just wanted the kids, you know, on the sidelines. Don't, don't bother Jesus, you know? Um, the fact that Jesus had so, talked so much about women in his ministry and, 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 prized, and praised women so much was countercultural to the time. Same thing with the children, okay? I think, we'll get to it next week, but the concept of, of Jesus revealing himself the first person he revealed to himself was to a woman. To us, it's like, oh, that's, so, that's so sweet. He loved Mary. She was great. 
Do you realize that Jesus' revelation to a woman was that testimony that Mary gave was not uh, valid in a court of law? She had, her, her, her word meant nothing to the culture. Nothing. So the fact that he's, he's uh, revealing himself to a woman is like, I don't care what people think. This is the truth. So the people who would want, the respectable people who want the kids to go away are, are brought low and the kids are elevated. Isn't that cool? The, rich, uh, the story of the rich young man reminds us of the high cost of discipleship. This short verse holds the promise that the high cost is worth it. The last will be first and the first will be last. It also is encouraging because it shows that God's favor doesn't just fall on the elite, powerful, and the wealthy, but it falls on those who will come to him with open arms and open hands. Those grateful for his acceptance and grace. Those willing to give the same level of lavish blessing that God has generously shown them. Which, that was all introduction, by the way. Wait, it's like Palm Sunday. When are we going to talk about the palms? Which brings us to the text that today is named for. It's the next passage in your Bibles. Mark 11. Look, just flip over to Mark 11. I love this text because it shows the sincerity of Christ. He's not a hypocrite. See, they know it. Somebody's cheering for something over there. That's right. They don't know it, but they're... Uh, Jesus is not a hypocrite. Teaching one thing to the masses and doing something different himself. No matter how much people wanted him to be a certain kind of Messiah... He stayed true to the principles of his father's kingdom, obeying the voice of God over the voice of the masses. This doesn't mean that Jesus is passive or weak. Those, those of us who are going to study those uh, everyday verses, those devotionals, when he comes in Jerusalem, you're going to see he's not always passive and weak. You're going to enjoy that part. <laughs> when he goes in the temple, man, mm-hmm. it does mean that his passion is controlled by the priorities of heaven. Mark 11, 1. Here we go. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back uh, here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied by the door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? I think it's a, such a funny little detail. Like, why does it even need to be in there? But it's a great thing. They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let him go. Matthew 21, uh, stay in Mark, but Matthew 21 talks about the colt. Okay, it gives a little bit more detail about the colt. What, what's with the colt? What's with the colt? Why not, a, you know, why not? The question is, what's with the colt? Why not like a, a horse or a, or, or a, a camel or, or a chariot even? I mean, if you look at the time when Caesar would go into uh, to Rome, 
there was parades and there was uh, slaves would be, would be, would be uh, driven before him and he'd have his chariot with a team of white horses. And it was like a big deal when the king would come into his city. In Mark 21, it gives us a little more detail. It says, this took place so that was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. Tell, daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, a full of a donkey. This concept of the gentleness of Christ, that word gentle can be translated mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. This is what Jesus just talked about. He is the king of the kingdom of God, and he's not going to come into his kingdom riding in a chariot. He's going to commit himself to the principles of his father's kingdom, and he's going to come in meek and mild. He's going to be gentle to the very end. That's who he is. So go back to verse 7 in Mark. It says, They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and they spread leafy branches cut from the fields. That's your palms. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. So I, I was like, what's this word? I looked it up, and I actually I clicked on the Internet where it says, how is this pronounced? And it's not pronounced Hosanna. It's pronounced Hosanna. What does it mean? It's not a declaration of how great God is. Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means please save us. That's what it means. Please save us. Please save us. Hosanna, please save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are our God. Save us, please. Blessed is the kingdom, is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, save us in the highest heavens. I think that's interesting. Save us in the highest. What does this sound like to you? It reminds me of what Jesus taught his disciples when he taught them to pray. Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's basically saying, God, make the reality of heaven the reality of earth. So you go back to what they're saying. They're saying, blessed is the king, uh, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, give, uh, save us in the highest heavens. Make the reality of heaven our reality. They didn't even know what they were asking but they were praying a perfect prayer. That's why it had to be said. They're saying this, make our earthly existence mirror the reality of heaven. Bind our enemies. Free us from our slavery. Bring your kingdom into our reality. Let us experience it like never before. Please save us. They didn't understand their perfect prayer. And that's why Luke records this. Luke 19, he says, Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. 
It was a perfect prayer. Couldn't be silenced. It had to be spoken. This is who he was. I feel like Jesus is saying, these people are declaring an elemental truth that will not be silenced. They're praying something. They don't even understand it. But they are, they, are, they are declaring an elemental truth, and they will not be silenced. They don't know who their true enemy is, but I have come to bind him. They don't fully understand the depths of their slavery, but I have come to free them. They have yet to experience the fullness of my kingdom, but I have come to reveal it to them. They have yet to experience the outpouring of heaven, but they will soon be baptized into it. They are praying for salvation, and that is why I have come. They will not be silenced. How about you? How about you? Have you gotten caught up in the upside-down values of our world? The striving, the gaining, the worry, the comparison, the struggle. You can sense there's something subjecting and stifling about this world. Deep down, your heart cries out for someone, please save me. Hosanna, please save me. And Jesus says, yes. 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 That's why I'm here. I'm not here to throw over, overthrow Rome. I'm not here to do, You don't even know the full reality, the full impact of your perfect prayer. But I'm, the answer is yes. I've come to save you from all that stuff. How do I know this? Matthew 11 says this. It said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, yes, you come to me, I will give you rest. Yes, the answer is yes, yes, yes. Why? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For why? For I am gentle and humble in heart. The rulers of this world are not that way. They will lay heavy burdens on you. They will tell you you need this, that, and the other thing. They will cause you to be tied and possessed by the stuff. And Jesus says, I want you to get rid of the stuff, and I want you to walk in the kingdom. I came. That, I'm not asking you to be gentle without being gentle. I am gentle, and my way is easy. I'm going to read it again. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's not talking about someday. He's talking about right now. He's talking about today. If you are struggling, if you are striving, if you are uh, worried about the gaining and the worry about the comparison and the struggle, he's saying, Come to me like a child, like those children came to me. Just, rat, just, just come to me for who I am, not for what I can give you. Come, for me because, come to me because I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I love you. Come to me in that same childlike passion, and the answer is yes. I will give you rest, rest for your soul. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wait, Pastor, I thought you said there's going to be persecution on this thing. Yep, there is. I'm not, we're not taking that away. What he is saying is this, is that every other system of the world is going to make you earn your salvation. Quote, unquote. He goes, mine is easy. My burden is light because you don't have to earn it. I'm going to give it to you. And then together, we're going to go through this process of sanctification. And yeah, there's going to be persecution, but I tell you what, you've gained fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters, children that are going to walk through this thing with you. You are now the singing stones that build up the kingdom of God. The rocks that are crying out. You are part of the, 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 the temple of the Holy Spirit. My burden is easy. My, no, I said it wrong. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you are struggling today, I encourage you to lay it down. He's asking you to lay it down. He's saying, listen, give it up. It's not going to bring you happiness. Give it up. Sell what you, you know, just, just give it up. Let it go. And come after me like a child. Then the kingdom of, then the kingdom of God is going to be, flung, the gates will be flung open wide for you. Because that's what I want to do. I want to give you the kingdom. Would you close your eyes and just pray with me today about this? Lord, every one of us knows what the rat race is. It can be all-consuming. Things that we think we possess become our possessors. And God, I just pray right now, Lord, that we would have childlike spirits that just come to you for everything that you are, not for what we can gain through you, but just because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, because you are God. Like a child. God, help us to lay it down. If we don't, if we don't, the reality is we will leave sorrowful. Because it's going to be an ankle, it's going to be a weight around our ankles. But your way is light. Your path is easy. Because it's a gift. And Lord, thank you for being not just the teacher of good information, but the example for us to follow. You rode on a colt of a donkey. That was how you came into Jerusalem. Humble, meek, gentle. God, help us to be that. Lord, I ask today for my brothers and sisters, those who are struggling with maybe a, a bit of idolatry because of the putting things and stuff and, and possessions and status and, I don't know, likes on their Instagram pages or all these things that they're putting above you, God, I pray that you would give them the power that that rich young ruler did not have to lay it down. To understand that there's more to this life than just the striving. That there is rest for their souls. And it's your desire to give them the kingdom. So Lord, be with my brothers and sisters. Go with them into their week. 
Help them to be able to focus on you in a, in a, in a more direct way during this Holy Week. God, I pray that they would marvel at the gift of your son this week. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.